We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think. Well, crazy intro there. Welcome. This is the Truth Perspective. I am Harrison Cayley. Joining me today, my co-host Elon Martin. Hey there. And also, we have back William Barbe. Hi there. And joining us for the first time of many, side editor Shane Lachance. Uh, hello, everybody. So it is April eleventh. And we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of stuff today. But to start out, we didn't get a chance to mention it last week, I don't think, unfortunately. Um, very sad news. Just come, just came to our attention uh, last week. Now we get to inform you of it. Very sad. It's very sad. We've been mourning, actually, the past week or so because the lovable Jen Psaki facing floor of the State Department propaganda room. That's right, yeah, she's moved on to greater and higher things, um, uh, a post in the in the White House. I think she's got some kind of, like, spokesman pers- position in the White House, but uh, thankfully, um, you know, she's at least she's left behind her pretty able and, um, you know, she makes a good replacement uh, substitute, uh, Marie Harf, she just she makes as much of a fool of herself as Saki ever did. Well, maybe not quite as much. I mean, Saki has a special place in my heart for just being a total moron. But well, she's also left behind a new word. I yeah. understand a new terminology which yeah. uh, enriches our uh, our understanding of reality in in this time and place. I think. Yeah. Well, it's expressions with uh, being Saki, but. Um, Two words, I mean, with the attention span of people these days, two words might be too much. So um, just let's just call it Saki. I mean, this whole world seems to be pretty Saki at the moment. Um, I mean, things just suck. <laughs> and so, yeah, we're going to be talking about the Sockier side of life and the world today. Are you going to say something, Elon? Uh, you know, we could just keep on expanding the definition as it as it suits yeah. uh, the discussion it's got all of these different uh connotations and it's uh it's just rich yeah well we, we've got another word too um because whenever you see something that's just so socky it's unbelievable i mean it just makes you want to so thankfully we've got marie harf to aid in the process it's 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 like a uh, a purgative is that, is that the word <laughs> it's just you know it, it's something that you just you, it it can just expel all the all the bad stuff out of you you just you know every once in a while you just need to harf to get rid of you know get all of that socky stuff out of your system well it was pretty funny that uh whatever jen's uh, new position was i believe it was on uh april 1st uh april fool's day so you know the the nation got uh, a little april fool's present uh, <laughs> 
Well, um, speaking of sake, you know, just to uh, to celebrate or or well celebrate her her moving on to better things, and just to remind us of all the things we'll, that we'll be missing from now on in the State Department. Um, we've got a clip we're going to play. This was from February twenty third. So just a, a week before her leaving the State Department, um, this is Saki responding to a couple questions about the situation in Yemen. This was prior to the U.S.-Saudi bombing the place. So let's just take a, a listen to the Sakiness. A couple of events that happened over the weekend. Mm-hmm. President Hardy seems to have escaped from house arrest in Sana'a and is mm-hmm. now in Aden. Uh, first, I wondered if you could speak to that and whether for the United States he remains the president of Yemen and what your position is on that. Well, technically speaking, um, it's our understanding that until President Hadi's resignation is accepted by the parliament <coughs> under the Yemeni constitution, he remains the president and his cabinet remains the legitimate cabinet of the Yemeni government. Now, we all are aware of how fluid and volatile the situation is on the ground, uh, so that's just the technical uh, analysis. Uh, John, uh, how come? On Yemen? or On, on Yemen, and sure. on, uh, frankly, I had another subject. Uh, on Yemen, uh, how come if this president, when he left his capital, uh, is still technically uh, president in his country? Uh, how come the, the Ukrainian president was that's not the, in the Yemeni same constitution and what the Yemeni constitution <coughs> says? Um, so I encourage you to take a look at the Yemeni constitution the if you're interested. The constitution said the same thing. Well, I, I think until constitutional proceedings are followed, the president is the president. I know you like to revise history here in this case, but I'll just reiterate that <laughs> President that Yanukovych left his own country. We all remember what happened here. I'm sure we can provide you with the specific details if you'd like. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, Yanukovych left his own country, kind of like Hadi did. I mean, they were both no longer in the country afterwards. But I think, uh, well, I, I don't know the guy, the name of the journalist that was asking the question, but he was right. <laughs> and when you actually watch the clip, Saki gives this really kind of forced smile as when he mentions it, when he says the thing about the, the, the Constitution. She knows where he's going. She knows where he's going. But I think, I think the thing is, is that she knows, she knows she's wrong. Um, I mean, I call her I call her a moron regularly, but I don't think she's actually stupid. She knows that she's lying. She knows that she's just spouting the the things that are written for her. So she, I mean, so you gotta kind of feel sorry for her to be in a situation like that, where you know that you're wrong, but you just absolutely can't tell the truth. I don't feel sorry for her <laughs> at all. Uh, I heard uh, three sakis uh, in that little speech. Um, you know, the the other thing that she does is she kind of turns the tables yeah. on the uh, press guy and says, you know, uh, you can look at the Constitution, you know, uh, as you as you well sure know. Um, <clears throat> these are like <clears throat> classic or not so classic debating tactics uh, that are just rhetorical and deflect from the truth of the situation. Uh, he was he was asking a perfectly good question and frankly i'm surprised that they even allow this guy in there to to ask these questions i'm surprised he's not you know off somewhere you know uh without credentials uh disinvited to 
to to ask these things. Well, she first of all, she responded with the Constitution thing, because that's probably one of the talking points that, that she has. You know, you mentioned that constitutionally he's still the president. And then this guy brought up the perfectly reasonable point that that exact situation applies or applied to Ukraine and Yanukovych. Yanukovych was constitutionally the president of Ukraine still while this whole coup was going on. And so then, I mean, you, you can't respond to that, right? There's no, there's no possible thing she can say. So that's when she says, oh, well, you know, you, you have a tendency to revise history on these things, so we're just going to move on. Which is really ironic, you know, considering, like, that's pretty much what the State Department does, you know, <laughs> revise history, um, you know, with this whole situation in Ukraine and, um, and, and Russia uh, in the news. Like, it, that's all they've been doing is revising history. Well, do you have some examples, some recent ones, Shane? Well, sure. Um, it's it's uh, 2015, um, you know, marks the 70th year anniversary of uh, the defeat of Nazi Germany. And, you know, so naturally there's been uh, different uh, news items um, marking the commemorations. Uh, I think um, in January there was the uh, incident in Poland uh, when they were... Uh, remembering their the liberation of Auschwitz and uh you know they excluded Putin and uh I think it was their foreign minister who you know even went as far as to say that um you know it wasn't it wasn't the Russia that liberated uh, the camp it was it was actually Ukrainian soldiers and you know it was, it, it just ties in uh with this uh, incidences of you know revising history over and over and over again um I think it's kind of interesting that um, World War II has kind of been popping up, um, you know, its memory. And, um, you know, it kind of serves as a reminder for, for anybody who's, you know, paying attention and actually remembers history of, you know, what we're seeing uh, play out today um, you know, in, in Ukraine. And, and um, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, pretty baffling, um, you know, to see the you know, come out over and over again. Well, but um, the funny thing about World War II is that, well, and revisionism in general, I mean, uh, the guys on behind the headlines talked about this a few weeks back. And because there are a lot of things that that we don't know or that the general public doesn't know about World War II that should generally be known. And so when they come out, just, you know, about, let's say, like, Allied atrocities or things like that. It's it's the things that kind of get covered up from the Allied side that we really should know about. And then, so there's there's probably a good there's a good revisionism and a bad revisionism. There's the revisionism that that uh, brings out the truth of what actually happened and things that may have been covered up. And then there's the rev, the revisionism that tries to cover up things that have already come out. So it's a there's there's two sides to that. I think. Well, it's it's funny too, you know. In um, in high school uh, history classes, you know, I, I don't remember anything, you know, mentioning Russia playing, you know, much of a significant part in you know defeating the Nazis. And you know, as it turns out, like you know, they they tore out the guts of of uh, of the Nazi regime. And you know, I think that was even uh, Winston Churchill who, who said that. Um, so yeah, you know, once you start digging into this, there's there's a whole uh, perspective that that's missing from uh, the public mind in America. A truth perspective. 
Yeah, it's even gotten the uh, World War II veterans from Russia really concerned about this revisionism that they're wanting to tell their story, their side of it, of their defeat of Nazism and fascism. And they're trying to get the younger generations more aware of what actually happened and, you know, don't let these people try and revise history. So it's, uh, hopefully they'll their voices will be heard. Well, in um, in May, I believe that marks the uh, May 9th marks uh, Russia's uh, Victory Day, and you know, so there's there's going to be some uh, some ceremonies in in the Red Square, and uh, the U.S. of course has, has been you know pushing to to boycott the event. Um, there have been some European leaders who you know are, are you know are, are still going to be going. Um, I believe uh, the uh, Prime Minister of um, the Czech Republic, uh, he initially came out and said he was going to be going, and uh, he got some flack from the U.S. ambassador, and uh, he basically said, you know, kicked the uh, him out, uh, saying, you know, um, you know, they don't have, you know, what what right do they have to kind of dictate uh, foreign policy uh, to in his foreign visits and foreign relations uh, to, you know, the the leaders of um, different countries. Every right. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> well, what's interesting, I don't, I don't know. Uh, you can get, I'm getting um, mixed stories, but uh, today I saw uh, that he is retracting. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, it seems like maybe they do have some, some, some pool or some, something uh, that's uh, preventing him uh, from going. But, but still there are, you know, I think around uh, 30 um, or so, uh, foreign leaders, you know, both from Europe and other uh, world who, who still will be attending. Um, but w- one of the more absurd stories I saw, uh, there was, uh, uh, I think three previous Ukrainian, uh, U.S. ambassadors who they were suggesting to hold, uh, the uh, commemoration in Ukraine you know, instead of Moscow. And, you know, it's just, it's just it's so absurd to you know to think that you know these Nazi this Nazi backed uh, Kiev is is the place where they want to be holding this. It's 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 pretty insane. Well, well, I would just um, so on on the sub absurdity and insanity and the lies that are um, put forth as truth and uh, an attempt to revise history from the present. Um, We have a pretty informed audience. Folks, if you're interested in calling in today, uh, by all means do so. Uh, The number here uh, where you can reach us is 718-508-9499. Call and uh, share with us your uh, feelings uh, of uh, frustration or anger or uh, you know, thoughts on anything that makes uh, you want to harp. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, you can also, uh, just chime in on the chat room on blog talk radio. Uh, we read your notes and, uh, we can comment on, on them on air. Uh, so look forward to hearing from you. Well, just in general, like, uh, this whole Saki Harf thing, uh, Joe and I wrote an article on Saad. It's up there just a couple of days ago where we kind of talked about these things. Just listed, just very, very briefly, like 
um, like a dozen or so or more, just topics and how the mainstream official version of them is just completely wrong. And that seems to be a, a general tendency in our world today. No matter what field you look at, no matter what um, you know branch of knowledge or just way just ways of looking at the world or understanding things, every single conclusion seems to be totally wrong. At least the official conclusion and the official story, the one supported by the the major institutions or governments. So you've got, and this can be, like I said, governments or just big institutions or corporations. So everything related to any kind of product or commodity or um, or science, even because all of because science serves these these corporate interests and government policies. And so anytime you look at any of these issues and you, when you really look at them, it turns out that these guys are just completely wrong. It's a total lie. And so two of the ones that we mentioned were things that we've just discussed briefly or that have been brought up, like Yemen and Ukraine. So in Ukraine, there's the official story that uh, propounded by Western governments the world over and more that the coup in Ukraine was totally legal and justified, that it was... Uh, the biggest problem over there is Russian aggression and, and Putin and Putin shot down MH17 and th- all of this is just total bullshit. What really happened is that it was a violent, illegal Ukraine by these by this group of fascists supported by the we- by the U.S. government that Yanukovych was the constitutionally valid president. That uh, it's just been a a total joke. Everything that has happened since then. Pretty much everything you hear in the Western media and from politicians and just windbags like Jen Psaki and Marie Harf is a total pack of lies. It's just that you, it doesn't get any more. You, you can't put it any more simply than that. It's just totally wrong. So you can pretty much bet that anything they say on these on this topic, at least, and many others is just totally wrong. So take whatever they say and just turn it completely backwards and you'll get the truth of it. So you'll actually be pretty smart by, you know, you don't even have to do much research. You just take what they say and turn it backwards, and then you're automatically smarter than, like, you know, 99% of the people that just listen to to the news or what their governments tell them. Well, it's interesting because, yeah, it's all kind of tied in uh, together. You know, there's, there's, there's all these fields, and once you start pulling, you know, some threads on, you know, uh, one particular aspect – then that opens a whole can of worms and you have to question, you know, all these other aspects and, you know, nobody wants to do that because then, then your whole reality becomes, you know, comes like crumbling down. So then you create a new reality, one that's actually based on facts and conscience and values and just reality. Because we live in this non-re- non-real reality that's been created for us by these opinion makers and reality creators that has no resemblance to the real world. Robert Perry, uh, the uh, famous journalist, recently just came out and said that um, in like the three or four decades that he's been writing, uh, he has never seen as much groupthink uh, in the media in particular uh, as pertains to Russia. Um, and uh, he he's just trying to... Um, point this out as a as a major problem which it is and uh but it is refreshing uh to hear other voices who've been looking at things for a very long time recognize the same problems 
Well, it's 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 also interesting because it's it's not just uh, you know Pisakiing in the news. Like you know, we see it in uh, our entertainment as well. Um, you know, whether it's uh, the Netflix show um, House of Cards, I heard the season, this third season, is kind of creating this uh, super psychopath uh, Russian leader and. You know, we're going to be rooting for our own psychopath over, you know, this Russian one. Because um, our psychos are better than their psychos. Apparently. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then there's all these other um, shows that, you know, are pretty obvious propaganda. And, um, you know, NBC has some new show, uh, Allegiance or something like that. And uh, there was a clip I had recently seen uh, from, from SNL. Oh, actually... Shane, I'm gonna let's hold that for a minute. Right. We've got a caller. We've got Lee. Lee's got his own blog show, and he's from California. So, Lee, hi, how's it going? And uh, do you have a question, or do you just want to rant for a couple minutes? <laughs> First of all, you guys sound great, man. I was in the chat room going, "What the hell are these guys using?" I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> Anyways, good. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, just love the whole kind of uh, open-ended. Uh, themes that you guys have posted, but I want to just really quick talk about the notion of fear and how okay. fear filters into our uh, political system. Um, for example, um, if we take a look at the Iran deal and what's mm -hmm. going on with that and the kind of jockeying that's going on between uh, the administration and then the uh, Congress Republicans and trying to get in there and you know the whole neocon mentality uh, is extremely uh, destructive and so quick to be used that it really is I think an eye-opener when the president and this is not a pitch for Obama but when you go the diplomacy side somehow that's construed as weakness you know mm -hmm. and so this whole quick itchy uh, uh, trigger finger to just get in there and uh, impose uh, our will and, and use our military. Uh, it's all predicated on fear. You know, and the mm -hmm. whole Netanyahu fear-mongering speech. Uh, granted, he is in a bit of a, a pretty bad geographical location, but he's got 200 atomic warheads. So, yes, mm -hmm. there could be an arms race, but the whole notion of fear is, a quite, is quite destructive in our culture and gets used quite a bit um, to to form uh, to, to make people form decisions and I just think uh, that goes uh, un unnoticed and I wanted your opinions on mm -hmm. that. I think that's a really good point Lee and uh, you know the irony is that um, all of these policies are playing on people's fears uh, get them to accept the policies and the aggression and, of course, very few people in the media are actually pointing out that uh, security and stability is even worse than it was prior to all of these policies being instated. And, um, and so, you know, the, the track record uh, shows otherwise. Um, and, and the other part, of course, is that people don't even realize that they're being played. Uh, or prime to, uh, you know, it, it's, you, you see something, uh, some atrocity on the news and uh, you react. There's no, 
you have no critical uh, faculty or uh, background or um, experience with thinking about what you see on the news as 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 possibly a lie or a manipulation. Um, and so, yeah, in a few shows, you know, weeks back, uh, we even talked about how um, what's the most likely uh, <clears throat> cause of your death. And uh, they they took a poll, and people almost unanimously agree that. But yeah, when you look at the actual facts, that, that doesn't even make it on the list. Yeah, you're more likely to oh, get yeah. shot by a U.S. cop. Well, you know, if you look at the uh, just a little off topic, but if we look at the the Slager execution with that South Carolina uh, Walter Scott. Um, it's fascinating because you think of law enforcement and ideally what certainly not branding every officer to be Slager, but you know, in the confinement of that secluded area, so far what the video reflects is the gunning down of a fleeing human being and mm-hmm. then the fabrication of a so called altercation where his stun gun was taken. And had he not been videotaped, that would have been the reality that would have been pushed out to his superiors. And that case now becomes a case of self-defense. And you have to wonder how often that happens Mm -hmm. in this country. And it's how often do we not see, you know, clips that because, you know, somebody didn't have a video uh handy you know like sure it happens you know all the time i mean just the things that we are catching on video and and still you know where where is the outrage over these things that's what the black community i think is finally um starting and i and i really sense i have a premonition that if things don't start to change with instances like the eric garner case the only reason the indictment was not uh, reached uh, by the grand jury on that was because he physically touched the officer's hands. Had he not hmm. resisted at all, and they used an illegal choke uh, hold on him and basically choked him to death, which all, was all shown on video, but because of the fact that he actually touched and resisted, then the argument became, well, if you don't resist, then there's no problem. You know, once you resist, all bets are off. And so I, I just worry about that in the direction of this country because uh, it's, it's gonna, it hasn't reached its boiling point yet. And so uh, once these things happen, we get the partisan politic uh, talking pundits uh, going at it from either side. And then it becomes there is no racism. There is racism. Um, in this case, I don't think there's going to be much of an argument. And, uh, you know, that guy should face whatever punishment that he faces. But Mm -hmm. the fact that it happened is a bit scary to me because you wonder how often that happens, you know, in our culture. Well, and I think that's, I think that's the, the big point here. You started off mentioning how politicians basically manipulate fear. And that's really probably one of the, the big reasons, one of the big, um, let's see, well, it's one of the big things that lies behind all these lies that we're talking about and we're going to talk about for the rest of the show is that all these or a lot of these lies are created in to to basically put a population into a state of fear to get them to go in a certain direction. And that can take 
any number of forms, either, you know, politically or scientifically or with your health or whatever. But what that does is it covers up and it masks and it, it's like a magician's trick to, to take your attention off of the things that actually would be pretty healthy to be afraid about. Because oh, fear, right. yeah, because like, I mean, just the thing with just the whole police thing. I mean, just in March, the U.S. police killed 111 people. And this was, you know, we can't even, it could be more than that. But 111 people, that's more people killed by the police than the, U, the police in the U.K., for example, have killed in the last hundred years. They kill <laughs> as many people in a month as the U.K. police kills in a century. That's a staggering statistic. Um, you know, uh, and I appreciate you guys giving me this time. Just to add, mm -hmm. if we look at, like, for example, fear, and we see how it permeates into our culture and society, and how many people don't even, like, stop the film and say, you know, is there something behind this? Let's take, for example, the incident in the, um, in, you know, the Indiana law with the Religious Freedom uh, Act by Pence. You know, um, I think Pence wanted to use that to prop his own political status. Uh, he was uh, being mentioned as a possible presidential candidate. And all I've heard, and I covered that, all I've heard come out of the conservative community is that somehow their belief system was being threatened, that their freedom of, of religion, their First Amendment right was being threatened. And then that just built up this momentum, and then they have a GoFundMe uh, uh, fund that funds almost a million dollars, and the whole notion of, of being a public business and then also being a Christian establishment gets confused, and then the religious uh, uh, evangelicals come out and start joining the bandwagon, and now we have civil rights-like discrimination because of somebody's sexual orientation without any thought to how are you going to be able to discern uh, customers coming in who are gay and how does serving somebody in a business transaction where you're catering their food uh, present a threat where that fear mm -hmm. comes in again to your belief system I mean what if it was the other way around you know, turn the tables, and instead of a Christian establishment, it's a gay establishment, and a Christian couple comes in to be serviced. I don't think we'd have the same outcome. So this mm -hmm. whole notion of fear is a very strong negative energy that I think people really need to start looking at realistically and not buying into um, the kind of facade that's being thrown out because it's a very strong energy and a lot of people uh, buy into it. So mm -hmm. keep doing what you guys are doing and exploring this because I think this is the key to change that's going to occur in this country. All right. Well, thanks for your comments, Lee. Uh, hey, good stuff that you had to man. say. All right. All right. Take, take care. care. All right. Yeah, thanks, Lee. Thank you. With Lee, man. All right, bye. All right. <laughs> <laughs> my plug, sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. No problem. <laughs> Later. You know, I, Later. Okay. I, you know, I think, uh, I think Lee's pretty spot on, you know, with the use of fear. You know, it, it literally does shut down critical thinking. You know, it um, reminds me of uh, one of uh, Martha Stout's books, uh, The Paranoia Switch. And, you know, she talks about, like, how, 
uh, as as a, a community or you know even on like a, a macro social scale that you know this paranoia switch can be turned on where you know the uh, for an example uh, after 9/11 you know anytime uh, the Bush administration wanted to pass you know some some piece of legislation uh, you know all of a sudden they'd you know ramp up the fear and you know turn down the the critical thinking and you know that that's what it does to the brain just just shuts it off you know it's, it's just a uh, get this automatic response from people. Well, I just had one more comment about the police. It's one of the points that we made in the, our freak show article on SOT. Um, because, you know, are all, are all cops bad or, you know, are there some good cops? I don't think it, it really matters to ask those kind of questions because as it is, if you just look at the facts on the ground and just, just the number of people killed by cops, for example, the like the cops are they're no better than like an organized crime mob like a mafia and well you know they're actually worse i mean because at least the mob you know some kind of gang element or mob at least they're you know running away from the cops you know they there's a fear at, at some level that they might get caught and, and punished but with the cops they are the law and they can get away they can lie cheat steal murder rape and there's very little that people can do about it. Every once in a while, they may, you know, have some kind of PR campaign where one cop will get some kind of minor punishment for it. But, I mean, really, if these were ordinary citizens doing the same things that they're doing, these guys would be in life for prison or worse. In prison for life or worse. Sorry. <laughs> so... Well, <clears throat> it's a shame that the new catchphrase is, if you've got problems, don't call the police. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that says something about the world that we live in that, I mean, yeah, if something's going wrong, don't call the cops. I mean, that's got to be, that's that's harf-inducing. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is sake. Oh, yeah, they're, you know, they're, their whole, you know, line is, you know, protect and serve, but... You know, in reality, you know, who are they protecting and serving? It's it's more often, you know, the predators and um and and themselves. And there is a um, kind of reminds me of uh, there was the case with the uh, uh, New Orleans football player, and you know, it was just this horrific account of um this he, he's basically this uh, serial rapist, and you know, it it went back years and years and. It, what what the case was about was just like this systematic um, covering up or you know not following uh, the leads and you know it's happening over and over again in you know multiple multiple states and you know it really made it clear um, just how uh, infected uh, the the police as a whole are you mm-hmm. know it, it's it's not just that it's you know, one department here and there, it's, it's happening like all over the country. Um, just another sign of the times. There's a story which reminds me also of a parole officer who, uh, um, would, uh, sexually assault, uh, the women who he was, um, in charge of or, uh, or, or working with. And, uh, you know, the, the one story uh, that came out um, because he was caught finally uh, led back to many other incidents of assault that he was guilty of. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- 
this is the tip of the iceberg. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I think after uh, 2001, uh, there's a, it's kind of a culture of uh, abuse that somehow trickled down. And uh, how, it, how it's happened exactly and what the mechanisms were and, and uh, you know, how we've come to the situation in the present day, uh, it, you know, would make a very interesting study. Um, but it's, it's undeniable. Well, before we move on to more general themes, do we have any more kind of topical news stories from past week or so? Funny you should ask. Um, well, you know, there was, uh, we were talking a little bit about, um, Russia and how black is white and how, uh, the U S has been, uh, portraying Russia in a certain light, um, for the past how many years, uh, there was a story that ran in CNN, uh, regarding Russian hackers and the state department and the white house. And, um, uh, this was uh, the story was put out by uh, Evan Perez and uh, Shimon Prokupix, and uh, basically the story was that um, via the State Department's computers, um, some hackers had managed to uh, send some phishing emails uh, to the White House, and um, actually the story is is uh, a few months old. And it just seems to be evolving. Um, back in October, CNN Money had a piece about uh, just hackers in general. And then that seemed to have been uh, conflated into Russian hackers. Um, and, uh, and you know what? I have no doubt there are Russian hackers who are pretty smart and, uh, and, and do what they do. Um, but there are criminals of all stripes and there's espionage being committed by all governments that have computers and, and know how to uh, look into stuff. But anyway, what, what makes this story kind of significant is, um, is the language that, uh, that these guys, uh, Evan Perez and Shimon Prokubix used in, uh, in establishing the idea that it was in fact Russians who broke into the White House and um, and with very little uh, supporting evidence. Um, they never named their sources. Uh, the information is very nebulous. Uh, the White House comes out and says, well, yes, you know, there was a, there was a, a hacking attack, but uh, most of our secure information was never accessed. And, and uh, the, the more general information was. And, uh, and so uh, the little piece that, uh, that these guys wrote in their CNN article, which, by the way, had been um, reported on by a number of Western media outlets uh, this past week, um, the piece was uh, that uh, didn't have anything to do with NATO, uh, didn't have anything to do with uh, uh, military uh, uh, information uh, or anything you might imagine uh, uh, a Russian government-sponsored hacker might be hacking into the White House or the State Department to be looking for. No, 
it was all about uh, Barack Obama's schedule, uh, that they had access to Barack Obama's schedule. And um, I thought that this was suggestive of something, maybe suggestive of nothing, um, but it is kind of really insidious. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, that, uh, that Russians should be, uh, accessing this information and, and some of this information included Obama's, um, schedule. Uh, I mean, think about it for a moment, you know, what does that really suggest, uh, that they're keeping tabs on possibly keeping tabs on Obama's comings and goings? Um, And why would they do that? And so coupling that with, uh, you know, what we know about the um, murder of um, Russian political opponent uh, Boris Nemtsov a few months ago and uh, this little piece of bullshit that came out about Nemtsov being uh, afraid of Putin killing him, which was completely uh, misquoted and and a falsehood. Um, He never said that. Uh, you know, uh, you have to wonder if this is, if this new little bit of, uh, uh, you know, data that's been put out there on the subject of, of the hacking, the Russian hacking, um, is, uh, setting us up for something else. Um, it's a bit speculative, maybe even conspiratorial, but, um, you know, I, I just, uh, I don't put anything past uh, these guys today and, and their intent to uh, achieve their aims in any way possible. Um, so there it is. Well, it could also be a, a message or a warning. So often those, I mean, we, we've seen similar things in the past, but just the fact, like, we don't even know if this story happened, first of all. If it did, we don't know who the hackers were. It could have been an, an inside job, so to say. But to put that out in the media that they had Obama's schedule, Obama's going to know that. And if he knows that it wasn't Russians, or if he knows whatever, mm-hmm. then he's like, okay, you know, he can get the hint that that someone is making a public <laughs> statement that someone has, you know, is looking at his whereabouts. And... While I don't personally like Obama like at all or agree with many of his policies or like non-policies, um, he has seems to be, at least on the surface, taking um, less extreme uh, courses of action or you know proposing less extreme um, policies in certain areas than like the than certain other war hawks in the in the American government. And we can just look at this whole Iran joke going on, too, um, which is, you know, one of the reasons that Netanyahu gave his joke of a speech in the U.S. a couple months ago. So I don't know, you know, there could be could be a lot going on behind the, the scenes on this one. Or like you said, it could just be all a bunch of Saki Harf. <laughs> Well, it, it was interesting that uh, just a week prior, uh, Obama had signed a, a new executive order uh, for um, placing sanctions on countries that have these uh, cyber terrorist attacks. 
And, you know, in, in that statement, you know, he kind of singled out Russia and uh, China and, uh, you know, a few others. And so, you know, it's kind of interesting that this whole uh, Internet clampdown kind of mm-hmm. uh, or you know, talk of it. Like, you know, it, was just, it happened just a week prior to uh, the, this news popping up. It's kind of actually an old story, you know, mm-hmm. um, but all of a sudden now, yeah, uh, these anonymous officials uh, know that it's. Russia. So. Yeah, I, I guess we'll wait and see. Um, yeah, I mean, th- that part about the, the schedule could just be incidental to the whole story. And uh, like you said, Shane, um, it's uh, it's just a kind of um, uh, a confirmation of why they need to push through that legislation. Well, it could be, you know, uh, working along, you know, multiple lines. You know, they, they, they right. it can... Yeah, they're they're killing so many birds with uh, one stone. You know. Well, speaking of just speaking of Iran for a minute, the whole the whole thing is just a, a farce. And again, we talked about this a little bit in the article, but I mean, for one, well, if you just look at the the premises, like usually if you've like let's say two people have an argument, usually they've got an argument over something that actually happened. But when the argument is based on just complete fiction, then it you know it enters the realm of the absurd, and that's the case with Iran because one has no nuclear weapons program, two has no plans for any nuclear weapons program, and three would be totally stupid if it had either one or two. It's a it's a non-issue. There's no nuclear weapons program. It is entirely a figment of Bibi Netanyahu's you know gigantic pathological imagination which is you know which i wouldn't want to see in any way because he's just a crazy man he's not he's not a serious person but uh so yeah i just wanted to say that that the whole iran situation is a sake farce and no you don't have to be afraid of iran getting a nuclear weapon because it's just a joke well you know from israel's point of view uh you know, the underlying message is Iran gets the bomb. And then as soon as it gets the bomb, it's going to bomb Israel. Uh, I mean, uh, first of all, Israel is uh, the only known nation in the Middle East that's known to have nuclear weapons. Um, so um, so what? I- Iran is so vehemently uh, anti-Israel and anti-Zionist that it, it's going to take the first opportunity it has to bomb Israel out of existence and, you know, without expecting that its own existence is going to be uh, destroyed simultaneously. It's absurd. It's insane. And yet that's exactly, exactly what uh, BB would like us to believe. <clears throat> and this goes back to uh, fear. Uh, it, it's playing so strongly on the fears of, uh, of Israel firsters, uh, many of whom probably, I mean, how many of, how many of these guys actually believe, uh, really that Iran is going to, at, at the first opportunity, take such, <laughs> such a measure. It's, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but they use that and, um, and, and that's been their, uh, 
that's been one of their weapons of mass distraction. Yeah, they've been doing that for 20 years. I mean, it seems to me that the underlying reason is more uh, to keep Iran economically depressed, uh, keep them from being a a rising nation, Mm -hmm. which they can very well be because of their strength in the area. And so Israel's got to do everything they can to try and keep Iran down. And folks, if you haven't heard it yet, uh, last week we had a very interesting show with Brandon uh, Martinez, who um, spoke in some depth about this subject. Um, So just a little plug for last week's show about uh, Israel's uh, larger um, goals in the Middle East. Well, speaking of Iran, there's the whole thing going on in Yemen, which Saki talked about at the beginning of the show. Thank you, Jen. And the the narrative there is kind of similar to the one in relation to Russia. So in Ukraine, East Ukraine, we've got Russia allegedly um, running their troll um, mercenary proxy army in East Ukraine, which is, again, total harf. But the the narrative in Iran is that, or in in Yemen, is that it's Iran backing these Houthi rebels, which again is a load of harf. It's what's actually happening. There's a, there's a wide wide range of the population in Yemen that did not support the previous, well, the current president Hadi. Um, so Iran, yeah, Iran may be supporting them in some way, just like. Russia does support in some ways the the rebels in East East Ukraine, but it's putting a totally um, fallacious spin on the whole situation because you're you're missing all the context of what's really going on and that Hadi was a U.S. stooge and that Saudi Arabia and the U.S. have certain plans and designs for Yemen and when the Houthis started gaining ground and got rid of al-Hadi, you know, what are you going to do in a situation like that when your vital interests are at stake in a country that you control from halfway across the world? You've got to do something. So anyways, just another another bunch of moron stuff. Well, behind, you know, behind all this, it is is interesting to see, you know, how, you know, the world is taking shape kind of, you know, without, uh, U.S. control and dominance. Um, uh, China, I think they just uh, uh, are. They're going to be signing uh, a deal with uh, Iran and, and Pakistan to get the their peace pipeline uh, going again, mm-hmm. which has you know, been blocked by the U.S. for about 20 years. Um, so it's it's interesting, you know, to see these um, these relationships that you know have really been tainted uh, by U.S. influence for you know, decades and decades, um, you know, it's just starting to kind of take shape and, um, and move on without the United States. Speaking of China, um, they've been, uh, pretty surprising here for the past couple of weeks, uh, projecting their rising superpower status to the rest of the world. Um, they made a bunch of history uh, three times just last week alone by agreeing to sell some 5 billion in subs to Pakistan and by getting to start the country's first nuclear submarine patrols, and also by swooping in and rescuing more than 200 evacuees in Yemen, 
which, of course, the United States refuses to help their own thousands of citizens that are there. And then to top it all off, of course, was their uh, AIIB bank uh, membership drive, which ended at the end, uh, end of March. But we've got three new countries joining in. Uh, that's Spain, South Korea, and Austria. Now, President Obama, in a response to uh, all this news about China, what's he got to say? Where we get concerned with China is where it is not necessarily abiding by international norms and rules and is using its sheer size and muscle to force countries into subordinate positions. Oh, my goodness gracious. Speaking of irony, I mean, (laughs) um, do as we say, not as we do. Mm -hmm. Well, apparently um, for this May 9th, Victory Day celebration in Russia, uh, the president of China is going to be having a sit down with Putin as well. Um, and considering how things are ratcheting up, and um, and uh, alliances and exchanges of information are going to be made uh, and deals um, being sealed because I mean, as it looks right now, uh, just in um, just in Eastern Europe, I mean, you have the whole you have uh, you know NATO quick response teams doing exercises with uh, Czechoslovakia and mobilizations and uh, and these little kind of shows of uh, of of military um, American military uh, uh, might you know going through the streets of of Czechoslovakia and people actually coming out and saying, you know, get out of here. We don't want you, you know, this is, we don't want war and we know what you represent. Um, so, uh, everything is, everything is kind of, uh, quickening, uh, in that direction right now. And like Harrison was saying a little earlier, um, it may be that Obama is not doing, uh, things as fast as uh, certain other uh, controlling interests would like. Um, but, uh, it, you know, you could have fooled me. <laughs> I mean, things seem to be developing pretty quickly. Um, and there seems to be a race uh, going on about uh, or concerning how much influence uh, Russia and China and BRICS and, and some of these other European countries have. Um, versus you know the U.S. and and floundering Merkel and Hollande and uh, Cameron, uh, and uh, it ain't looking good for the West. Well, Russia just asked Iran to join the Eurasian Economic Union, just as another you know another one of those things going along on the side, mm-hmm. and of, then of course we've had the recent. Uh, meetings with Putin and the Greek leader Tsipras, and you know there was there were questions before that if if Russia would basically you know what like bail out Greece, and they didn't go in that direction, but they uh, <laughs> came to the agreement to kind of use the the what are they calling it the Turkish Stream yeah. uh, gas pipeline, and that it'll basically run through Greece, and Greece will make a whole bunch of money. Um, by being the kind of way station for that, those gas shipments. And the, 
what struck me about that was it last year when we heard about the, the whole South Stream deal falling through, it kind of came out of nowhere. And But at the same time, uh, Putin did it in such a way that it's... He you're, he kind of he's kind of got that Midas touch where he can turn a bad situation into something that's actually good, and so we saw that with the, with the deal with Turkey, and now when when you look at this whole thing with Greece, it's like it's just it's the the what is it the the golden goose that keeps on laying or something <laughs> because not only did it did it avoid the <clears throat> situation with was it Hungary and uh, you know, and the whole EU um, attitude that was that basically put the kibosh on the whole, whole deal. We got this new project going on, and now it comes at such a time and in such a way that it's able to help out Greece at the same time. I wonder if if these are the kind of things that they these guys think about, like when they're planning these things and say, "Well, but you know, in four or five months in the future, we might have this opportunity, and we might be able to you know gain an ally here." or, or it's just it kind of boggles my mind. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it that you know that they uh, that they do have you know these these plans like you know made mm-hmm. uh, far in advance and yeah, Putin's a smart guy and you know he's got really smart advisors and way 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 smarter than you know the the leaders in the West and you know he's he's just uh, kind of outmaneuvering them uh, move at a time and uh, it, it's been pretty fascinating to see. Yeah, I bet the IMF and the European banks are kind of upset, too, that uh, Greece is paying off these loans mm-hmm. and are willing to sell assets to Russia to help generate more funds to keep paying off these loans. So the IMF and the, the uh, European bank aren't going to get those assets that they were probably trying to get their paws on. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the same time, Russia benefits from having Greece, which... Uh, uh, Tsipras has been vocal about not supporting the the sanctions on Russia, and so Greece is in a position potentially potentially to kind of make a big hubbub about that. Well, yeah, there, there's been talk about uh, just how uh, geostrategic uh, Greece is um, and the sea in, around it, and how uh, there may be uh, a kind of agreement between Russia and Greece in where um, Russia can uh, bring its uh, military or its uh, part, parts of its navy. Um, so uh, it doesn't look like uh, things are going according to plan um, or the plan of the IMF, uh, World Bank, um, and the European Central Bank, um, and all the kind of powers that are behind that. Um, so, yeah. Uh, talk about turning things around. Um, it'd be interesting to see where that goes. Moving on. Any other stories? No news? Yeah, no, it's been a slow week. <laughs> well, maybe now we can move on to some some more general stuff. Because like I mentioned, like we were talking about, it's not just, you know, one area of life that we encounter these lies in. It's pretty much all over the place. It permeates everything. It's like a bad smell, a bad odor. It just gets into everything. 
And so, I mean, we can, we've looked at some politics. I mean, Russia, there's the, the official line. Okay. Let, let's just, let's do a little experiment here. So pretend, pretend everyone, including the guys here in the studio, pretend you're just an ordinary average person that, uh, doesn't really listen to the news and when they, you know, so they don't really look into things too much, but they just have the general kind of odor of, you know, whatever's going around the U.S. Um, so what's the first thing that you think of when you hear of Russia and Putin? Oh, Hitler. Yeah. KGB. Hitler, KGB. World domination. World domination, right? Yeah, all those three, False. <laughs> so I mean like you were sh- saying Shane I mean Putin just seems to be leagues ahead of any other politician on the scene these days and I'd say so much so that if you were to like put all of them in some kind of graph or flow chart or something you know Putin would just be like just way above everyone else in pretty much every quality and I'd say every good quality it doesn't necessarily mean that he's like a saint or anything, but when you compare everyone together, he pretty much is <laughs> comparatively. So not only is the the official line on Russia and Putin wrong, it's kind of not even wrong in the sense that he's actually like kind of good. Mm-hmm. He's doing he's doing things that actually not only not only benefit his own country, but are actually a positive force for other countries in the world. And, you know, what other country can we say that about that, you know, actually has a little bit of good in there and actually exports that good? Well, that that brings to mind a word immediately to me, and that is, or two words, freedom and democracy. So what comes to mind when you hear the words freedom and democracy? Well, as a regular Joe or... As a regular <laughs> Joe, yeah. Start there. Well, the U.S. of A., of course. Uh-huh. Yeah. And the U.S. just loves to, like, send its freedom and democracy over to wherever it'll reach. Right? It's like one big, giant freedom and democracy hug that embraces the world. I can vote for who I want. I can write what I want to write. Say what I want to say. Mm-hmm. And I can give that gift to every other country, to all those poor savages that don't have it. That's kind of the basis for just Westernism in general, you know, this this liberal liberal idea that, you know, um, what we have, everybody else should have, and we should be the ones to enforce it on others, even if they don't want, even if they don't want it, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a got to get in that online line to get the new Apple Watch. Never mind the costs involved, but I want to go back to what you were saying about Putin because, um, you know, I, I think. I think that he probably had and has good intents for Russia when uh, when he came into power in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And I also think that by necessity, he realized that his situation in Russia was not unique um, and subject to many of the same um, forces that many other countries uh, were subject to economically, politically, socially. Uh, you know, i.e. the imposition of uh, you know, freedom and democracy, Western style. And I think that what he realized was that 
in a very real way, uh, Russia cannot do it alone. So he, he kind of grew into this part, uh, that he was writing, uh, for himself, uh, year by year. And, um, so if, if it's true that he was, um, Russia minded when he started, uh, and not particularly idealistic or even not particularly, you know, good. Uh, I think that uh, the events and, and the forces that he's battling just to keep Russia viable as a sovereign place uh, have, have, has like shaped his worldview, has shaped his methods of doing things. And, uh, and he's he's grown as a result and personally as an individual. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago we were talking about the the road back, the, the documentary on uh, Crimea and what really happened there. And I have to say, I was really touched by the ending. Uh, you know, the interviewer asked Putin, um, "What what do you wish for the people of Crimea?" And he said, "Happiness." <laughs> And it was uh, it was one of the most sincere sounding to me and utterly believable uh, uh, simple messages he could give. Um, and uh, I just think that that's become Putin. He just he just wants to uh, turn around the tide of of everything that's made the world messed up by. U.S. and the West for the past that many years. It seems to be getting noticed. Uh, uh, we'll find out on Monday who Time Magazine chooses as the person of the year, but Putin is, uh, again, the front runner for that. Um, of course, he's being followed closely behind by a South Korean pop star. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and uh, the Dalai Lama's in seventh place with the uh, Barack Obama in 11th place and Angela Merkel is way down in 25th place. So it does seem to, he is getting some notice. Oh, All right. oh just hold on, Shane. we got a caller. This is uh, Cole from California. So, Cole, welcome. How are you doing? Do you have a question or you just want to rant for a couple minutes? Yeah, I have a question, actually. Uh, All right. You guys know... That Jews did not allow them to figure out how Hitler, nigger, 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 and Frank was the brains behind it. Yeah, okay. Thanks. Speaking of, well, I just want to come back to the, the point you were making, Ilan, um, about Putin. And I think that, well, there's the saying that, you know, power corrupts. And we've talked about it before. It's a really, It's not a very good saying because... I think Frank Herbert said it best. I can only paraphrase him, but it's not power. It's not power that corrupts. It's the, what is it? The corrupt are attracted to power. Yeah. Something like that. But I think that any person that gets put into a certain position, especially one of power and social responsibility, there are two general paths that they can take. And one, depending on their nature, one is the path to that, you know, more corruption and to just being a, a puppet or a stooge or a, just one more appendage of the kind of corrupt system that they're a part of. But there are those few individuals when put in a position like that who 
tend to see ever more clearly the responsibility placed upon them and to it brings out kind of a sense of self-sacrifice and work and energy and we've seen this in a few politicians in the past they tend to be the ones that get assassinated or just great you know social um social critics or um you know, people like MLK or or JFK or even a guy like John Lennon, a person who comes to a, a certain position in life, have a lot of influence, and then use that influence for something good. And we see that, we saw it with Doug Hammerhold, who when he became the UN Secretary General, he kind of had this moment in his life where his personality kind of changed and he found an immense amount of energy to just work. And he got very little sleep and he just worked nonstop because he knew, he knew what he had to do and he knew how much responsibility he had. And we see the same thing with Putin who just works nonstop. And anytime he does take a little break, it becomes news because he's not working. And even on those breaks, it turns out he probably is working. So, <laughs> And and he mentions that in in the few interviews that have come out recently, like the one in the Crimea documentary. I mean, just the the number of times that he that he stays up like all night just working on some kind of crisis that's going on. And there was even a I watched a, a clip from John Oliver's show, and he was kind of joking about about Putin and how this was from a I think it was about a year ago or maybe less, but. You know, Putin arrived late at some dinner in like Italy or something. And so he made this fashionably late entrance and, you know, he's the last guy in there. And so, of course, he, you know, he got, got a lot of media about that. But but then after that, he goes to another meeting and, and like with I think it was Angela Merkel. And then after that, he went to meet um, what's his name? Silvio Berlusconi. And so he was up until like three in the morning, just at first just doing these these meetings and then. I guess having a little chat with shady Berlusconi, but they apparently go back. Well, it's, uh, you know, we were talking about earlier about, you know, maybe Putin's not a saint, but yeah, I kind of wonder if, uh, we might need to redefine or revise, you Uh know, what, what a saint is. And yeah, yeah, we have this notion of, um, you know, sainthood as, you know, kind of people who are, you know, not involved in politics and, Mm -hmm you know, kind of maybe going off on some secluded area and, you know, just navel gazing or, <laughs> or, or whatever. And, you know, in reality, um, you have these leaders like MLK or Putin and JFK and, and others who, you know, really make a difference in people's lives. And, you know, what's, what's more powerful than that? Um, you know, you, you're not re- you're not necessarily going to get there by you know just navel gazing. So <clears throat> yeah, one has to admire his strength and his perseverance. I mean, anybody else who's uh, attempted what he's done has been thoroughly crushed, but yet he's managing to to just slip up, slip through and uh, outmaneuver everybody and, and mm-hmm. attain what he is what his goals are. And I think it's been said before, um, you know, if if Russia and Putin uh, hadn't been under the incredible amounts of pressures with the Western supported oligarchy uh, oligarchs and 
and um, and all the other kind of uh, interests and forces that have been working to suppress Russia. You know, where would that country be today? What what would it be uh, putting its energy towards? Um, you know, what would what would the United States being be putting its energy towards if it wasn't uh, so brainwashed and militarized and uh, police stated and uh, so uh, if you can ask yourself uh, those questions um, and know for yourselves how um, how much we've been deprived of real uh, of, of real forces for constructive um, change um, you know you can you might imagine a very very different world that we're living in right now well, it's interesting to see, you know, how, um, you know, the West has dug its own grave and, and really kind of created this space, uh, for Putin and, and, and Russia to kind of come into their own and, um, you know, kind of use these, um, these energies for good. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating because, you know, the West is just as responsible for, for all these, uh, dynamics that we're seeing play out as, as Russian, as uh, Putin is, um, you know, taking advantage in, of these opportunities. Well, I, I think that's just it. I think seeing them as opportunities, mm-hmm. um, you know, Harrison mentioned a little earlier, you know, uh, having the, the Midas touch, uh, finding the, the way to turn everything around. Uh, it's a gift. Um, someone teach me. <laughs> yeah, it's, how, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, certainly a good lesson to see. You know, we see it play out on the world stage, but you know, how much of that can we apply in you know our own our own lives as well? And you know, we're we're faced with uh, the monstrosities uh, just on a personal level uh, every day, and you know, we could we could look at it you know in the same light. You know, we can you know take responsibilities for you know our own part in in the universe and. Uh, you know, see where we can apply our own abilities and, and, and grow and, you know, meet those challenges. Yeah, there's a book on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's kind of, it was kind of joking, but one of the topics that I want to talk about was uh, psychology. Because just as in every other field, I'd say that the state of psychology in the world is uh, just the general understanding of psychology is pretty narrow, pretty wrong. <laughs> and and that's just, there's so many ways, so many different directions we can go with that. But one is just the one that we talk about a lot, of course, is just the awareness of psychopathy and just, or the lack of awareness of psychopathy and what it is and why it's such a danger to the world. But just in general, there's not a lot of psychological insight that you see in the world, in the media. I mean, everything is just so shallow. And even the people that you see on news channels, they're they're just like hollow inside. There's It's like they're not even real people. And, you know, thankfully, I guess there is... You know, every once in a while, there's a good movie that comes out or a good TV show that actually has some psychological depth. But how much of that actually filters down to to the general population? I don't know, because I think most people like watching reality TV and 
and there's just so there there's no there's no model for what is p- possible for a human being and not only possible but what might be actually be ideal so something to strive towards something to use as a as a, a measure for for comparing yourself to yourself so you can actually look at yourself and see what you do wrong, you know, what you can do better and to have an image in your mind of what you can aspire towards. I think that's gets to what you were saying, Shane. And I think part of that, part of that has to do, well, I'll call it like self affirmation and self denial that there are parts of every individual that should be denied in certain situations and parts that should be affirmed. And when you can find that part of yourself that is higher than the rest, and more noble and more strong and uh, more conscious and aware and to affirm that part of yourself and actually identify with it. That's, you know, I think that's when, when you can start seeing what to do in certain situations. And that role of uh, denial and uh, affirmation talking about, it's kind of been reversed in everyday life. You know, we have uh, these ideas of affirming, you know, making these affirmations mm-hmm. And it was funny because I saw an article not too long ago about how uh, people who do these affirmations, you know, are pretty delusional. <laughs> and, um, you know, so so we affirm, you know, these parts of ourselves that, you know, are really um, hindering us and, and harming uh, our, our, our being. And while we deny, you know, the the things that, you know, can help us grow. And, you know, we, we, we block those things out. We don't want to see, you know, the, the things that might challenge our ego. And, you know, it's a, it's really a backwards, uh, backwards thing. You know, there was a, a study that came out some time ago um, that measured uh, the, the health and well-being uh, physiologically and psychologically of individuals who gave a certain amount of their time every week um, volunteering, helping people who are infirm or handicapped or old. And uh, the study's conclusion was that uh, those individuals who gave of themselves um, in such a way uh, actually suffered very little uh, from stress, you know, for one thing. Um, so, uh, you know, putting your energy into something that is, um, constructive, altruistic, caring for others, uh, and not so caught up in yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's being so much clamped down nowadays that, uh, even considering doing some of these actions, you're, you'll be labeled as a terrorist. (laughs) Feeding the homeless. Yeah. Yeah. arrested. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of putting in the hard hours, speaking of Putin in the hard hours, <laughs> uh, in the chat room, Zoya uh, put a link to a quote. So Putin once said, all these eight years, I worked like a galley slave from morning till night and with full expenditure of energy. Interesting. And uh, he was his own uh, slave master. Mm-hmm. Uh, but saw the purpose, uh, the meaning behind uh, what he was doing and uh, the necessity. And, um, you know, I'm thinking in addition to the idea that um, that the West just has Putin all wrong, 
it's that there there's kind of so little in the capacity of most people to recognize mm-hmm. uh, these qualities in a person when they do something right. Um, you know, why would someone care to make themselves a, a galley slave uh, from morning to night for so long when they can be <laughs> having fun by, uh, by the definition of having fun that they have. So that's an interesting quote. Thank you. When you can buy stuff. When you can buy, <laughs> <laughs> can buy fun. Well, Ilan, you mentioned psychological studies. Something else I want to talk about. One of because I've got several. I'm sure we all do, but I've got several kind of pet peeves about you know certain lies that just really get to me and make me want to harf. And one of those has to do with one of my topics of interest, and that is parapsychology, or you know the crazy stuff, the weird stuff. And so, of course, the main the the official view well the the official view of parapsychology that's all bogus now of course you get a, a wide disparity between the official view and the kind of folk common view so i think most people have most people think that that kind of stuff is real harrison give us a, a quick uh, definition of parapsychology for those who may be unfamiliar okay so we'll get there so what is it that the official people think is bogus and that uh, most people think is yeah, and just it's, stuff happens. It's weird stuff. So parapsychology is is officially defined as weird stuff. Now, anything from uh, like apparitions to um, telepathy, psychokinesis. Now, there are actually real flesh and blood scientists that look into these sorts of things. It's not just the kind of ghost hunters stuff you see on TV, which is often just you know a load of bull, anyways. But this stuff actually happens. Not only does it happen, which is why most people accept it, is because it happens in their lives, but it's been tested by many scientists over the past 150 years. And so when you actually look at the science behind it, read the reports, read the the articles published, the books published, there's just a ton of evidence. It's pretty, it's indisputable that these are, that these phenomena actually exist. So we can talk about you know things like I mentioned, like apparitions, telepathy, psychokinesis. So apparitions can be anything like, well, a pretty common example is like a a, a deathbed apparition, or a, um, so if someone close to you dies, like anywhere, it's very common to have some kind of apparition of that person. So the person just somehow knows, well, not, not just somehow knows, they know that person died because basically the person came and told them and, you know, like appeared in their bedroom or they had a conversation with them or something. It's so common. Uh, I don't know the percentage, but, uh, you know, it might be as high as 40 or 50% of, of people, you know, have experienced something like that in their life. Whatever the percentage is, it's, it's pretty big. But uh, that's kind of one of the anecdotal forms of evidence. There's also the stuff in labs to test telepathy and, Psychokinesis. So just one example of psychokinesis will be um, a, a test subject having an influence, um, a, a big statistical influence on something like a random number, a random number generator, random number generator. <laughs> Sorry. And so, the, I mean, they've done meta, meta, uh, meta analyses uh, on these types of experiments just to show without a doubt that there is a huge effect. 
the effect doesn't look big when you look at it. It may like so a random number generator might give like 50% yeses and nos, and the effect of all these psychokinesis experimenters and their subjects is like you know might push it up to 51%. But when you factor in all the trials, it's just it's a it's actually a, a huge effect to to have that much effect on a random number generator. That's a tiny example. You get in when you look at so-called parapsychology in everyday life, the anecdotal stuff, that's when you get the so-called macro effects. So you can look at the the history of research into like seance phenomena or macro PK. So these can this can be stuff like you know ectoplasm and levitating objects. I mean, D.D. Hume was a famous um, guy of this sort who could, uh, and tested by um, like rigorous scientists, real scientists in in very controlled situations. I mean, levitating objects, levitating himself, he could make the keys on an accordion play without touching it. And the like, so these, these examples are very well documented. There's, they're, they're solid, but what, so, so when I hear that, you know, when I just hear the, the offhand dismissal of, of these things, it just, it really bugs me because when you, when you start looking to it, into it, there's just no question that these things actually happen. Well, it's, it's kind of strange that, you know, it, that these things that, you know, are kind of a part of our daily lives are relegated to the weird. Yeah. You know, there's kind of a contradiction there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's kind of bizarre how we've, how we've got here um, through, yeah, you because know, spiritualism, what that was like in the 1900s when, when that kind yeah, of. Late, uh, like late 1800s, early 1900s. Yeah. And, um, and you know, right at that point, you know, kind of materialists, uh, yeah. materialistic science, kind of really, you know, took a um, took shape and kind of directed things away from that. Mm-hmm. So you know, it would be interesting to see, you know, what if, uh, you know, that, that things, you know, kind of changed differently, and you know, and and people, you know, could talk normally about, you know, what are these weird but normal yeah. <laughs> uh, experiences. Well, not only weird, but normal, but just fascinating. I mean, when you read this kind of stuff, for me at least, it's just, it's cool. I mean, just to see what kind of things are possible in this world, not only are possible, but that actually happen. And that the the general public and that officialdom in general has no curiosity or interest in them, it just strikes me as a shame and atrocious at the same time. Um. There's well, there's one example. I want to read something. This is, it's not necessarily a, a psychic phenomenon. There's, a, you know, you can you can look at it in certain ways. But there was a woman in the early 20th century, I believe, named Pearl Curran, and again, she was um, subject to various numbers of tests to to um, like with scientists and just researchers trying to get to the bottom of what was happening with her. And she was um, a relatively uneducated, otherwise intelligent woman who got involved with uh, a friend of hers who wanted to try out a Ouija board. And so she didn't want to at first, but eventually she did. And the, the stuff that ended up coming out of this Ouija board was pretty phenomenal. So let's say even if, even if we took the position that there's no such thing as as the paranormal or like uh, contacting dead people or or channeling or mediumship or anything like that, 
this case is just one of the most remarkable, interesting, um, just examples of anything that, <laughs> that I've ever read just because it's so, it's so, well, weird, but fascinating. So let me read this. This is a, this is part, this is a, a little bit from a book called Crimes of Reason. This was actually the book, the last book written by Stephen Browdy. He was on the, uh, behind the headlines last year sometime. Let me just read a bit about Pearl Curran. She allegedly uh, channeled uh, a woman named Patience Worth. So just keep that in mind. So, okay, the power. So he's talking about the power. What this could be a demonstration of the power of dissociation to liberate otherwise hidden or latent abilities. So that's one interpretation of this. So, although all the patient's worth communications exhibit a distinctive and consistent personality, as well as common verbal traits, patients express herself in several different ling- linguistic styles. So, uh, patients, the alleged, you know, being that was talking through this Ouija board with Pearl Curran, um, actually just wrote stuff. So, poems, novels, um, just witticisms, just anything. In fact, one of her works was a Victorian novel, despite the fact that, as the book's dust jacket, dust jacket Riley noted, Patience was a pre-Victorian author. Most of the time, however, Patience communicated in an unprecedented style rooted in archaic Anglo-Saxon idioms. Remember that Pearl herself was uh, had like an eighth grade education. Much of her vocabulary was appropriate to the 17th century, but some of it seemed to belong to a period several centuries earlier. And some of the word, some of the words Pearl used on those occasions were tracked down by contemporary scholars only after they appeared in the Patience Worth scripts. Many consider Patience's literary works to be of exceptional quality, easily the best literature ever produced in a case of mediumship. But what matters here is that Patience, Patience Worth's poems and novels, and indeed her entire personality, betray an intelligence and psychological style profoundly different from that displayed by Mrs. Curran. Furthermore, Patience's abilities and skills go well beyond, well beyond anything Mrs. Curran, and arguably anyone else, ever exhibited. In fact, Pearl or Patience's compositional and improvisational abilities seem unprecedented in literary history. Patience was able to compose often exquisite poems on the spot in response to requests to write on popular on particular topics. She could compose several works, sometimes in distinct literary styles, on the same occasion, alternating passages of one with those of another. She could write part of a novel for a while, leave off in mid-sentence to converse on to converse or work on something else, and then days later return to the novel exactly where she'd left off. More impressively still, with almost the sole exception of a beautiful child's prayer written haltingly and with few with a few revisions, Patience produced her entire corpus of thousands of poems and several long novels, one of which was over 600 pages, without ever making a correction. She also performed astonishing compositional stunts. On one occasion, she was asked to compose a poem with each line beginning on a different letter of the alphabet, from A to Z, omitting X. After a pause of a few, of a few seconds, the poem came through the, through the Ouija board as fast as the scribe could take it down. Now, that's just a really um, general overview of, of the, the whole Patience Worth case. But just those few examples just show to me just how just how much 
there is about the human personality and the human human potential that we don't know about that most people don't know about can you just can you imagine being able to produce a 600 page novel first of all in a kind of trance but with no uh, with without having to do any corrections now one of the things about uh, about patience worth or pro current is that these novels were actually published so she had a publisher and even the publisher didn't make any revisions. They were published as is in perfect form. And so even if we disregard any kind of paranormal explanation for this, it's just, uh, to my mind, a, just a remarkable phenomenon that some, there's something going on there. And Stephen Browdy, he, he also writes a lot about dissociation, like dissociative identity disorder, and the similarities between these kind of either paranormal or seemingly paranormal phenomena with phenomena that we see in certain psychopathologies like so-called multiple personality disorder. Because if you think about even just the idea of multiple personality disorder um, is uh, just the phenomenon of it is pretty remarkable that a person can split their personality into several different personalities. Some are aware of others, some aren't. It's uh, and the the type of personality changes that that affects. So you know, one can be right-handed, another can be left-handed. Now, where does that think about that? Where does that ability to be able to write with your other hand perfectly, with no training, with no practice, come from? There's so much hidden beneath the surface um, that it just kind of boggles my mind. And And there's other physical manifestations as well, like diseases or things like that, that one personality has, but yet the other one is completely clear of that disease when it it appears. It's Mm -hmm. fascinating. Well, all of this certainly begs the question because there is a lot of information out there that that, um, documents a lot of this stuff. Uh, But... I never had a, you know, getting back to what we were taught in, in school, you know, in addition to real history, uh, I've never been taught about any of this stuff or even the suggestion of it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's weird. It, it's, <laughs> it's right. And I, I guess once you label it weird, mm-hmm. you don't have to think about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you've been given permission to relegate it into a corner, a dark corner of uh, shit happens or, you know, or, uh, it, it, how does it impact me in my everyday life? And the answer is that it, it probably impacts us in mm-hmm. myriad of ways that we're not even aware of. Well, here's, you got something to say? Cause I got one thing to, one example of that. Go ahead. Well, so I think we can, we can accept the phenomenon of telepathy and, and psychokinesis is just facts. They exist. We may, not, we may not be able to explain exactly how or why they happen, but we know that they do. Now, one of the, th- the possible implications that Brett talks about in his book, which just kind of blew my mind, was first of all, the, the role of what scientists call experimenter effect. So, well, first of all, this is the real first of all in in these experiments you know they'll they'll get people to basically try to have a paranormal effect on a random number generator or you know some kind of equipment or even a person or a thing now when you when you accept that these kind of things can happen and also the fact that they do happen in everyday life uh 
and they may happen a lot more than we actually think about or are aware of, just, you know, what parts of our life might they be having an influence on? What phenomena in the world that we don't accept as paranormal, that we just see as regular, ordinary stuff happening, what um, what percentage or, you know, just what examples of those can be influenced in a way like this? And the example he gives is this experimenter effect, where when a scientist or group of researchers are doing an experiment, doing some kind of scientific test on something, um, it's a well-known phenomenon that their expectation of a certain result may uh, affect the, the, the results that they get. And so that's why we have things like blind and double-blind experiments and, you know, repeat trials, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. But if we accept the reality of psychokinesis, then really there may, no, there may be no such thing as a blind or, uh, or double-blind experiment. If the experimenter doing this test or anyone involved in this test has some kind of, um, you know, paranormal psi effect on it, it can totally skew the results. So by not taking into account these phenomena, it could be that all these scientific tests that we have where we see these small but significant effects aren't real effects. They're like the scientific equivalent in like, let's say, you know, physical studies or, or, you know, drug trials or something. They're the, they're like equivalent to a placebo effect, but it's actually the this, the experimenter or someone else in the experiment producing those results there when they're not actually real results. So one of the, another one of my pet peeves, of course, is just mainstream science and especially like diet science or uh, health science and, and um, the, the whole publishing uh, peer review system in general where it, it can just be exploited and you can have totally fake papers written results just made up for whomever wants them to, ma- to be made up and then quoted in the stream as, oh, you know, this drug does this thing, this drug, blah, blah, blah. So you've got that, that level of just total fraud that is very hard to sift through because we don't know, we, you know, just looking at a, at a published paper or result, we can't know if it was just totally fabricated or not. But on the other hand, for those that aren't fabricated, we have no idea of knowing if this is an actual real effect or if they just got that effect because of some kind of PK influence in that experiment. So it kind of just the uh, just the possibility of it can throw the whole all these scientific studies just up in the air if they don't have the right methodology. So it's uh, kind of interesting but scary at the same time. And maybe that's one of the reasons that <laughs> that uh, PK psychokinesis is not officially a real thing because when you accept it there's so many possible implications and that's just one of them but it would seem to me that if someone was sincere about studying the subject then they would be asking these questions they would be um you know the the curiosity as you said would uh, overcome any kind of reticence to um uh, to engage in experiment just because it can go wrong, uh, you know, they would be doing their level best probably to think about all the, you know, possible influences on that experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and that's why, that's why parapsychologists often have better methodologies than mainstream scientists because they're aware of these things. And so when mainstream scientists criticize parapsychologists, 
the the parapsychological studies are actually better done than the mainstream studies. And Rupert Sheldrake mm-hmm. put out a paper on this, just showing how bad um, a lot of the blind experiments in in various mainstream fields are, and that parapsychologists actually have just they're just better scientists. They know how to because they're aware of these things. They know how to um, structure their exper- experiments in such a way to avoid these certain kinds of th- kinds of things. So really, science would be in a, 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 so much of a better state if these kinds of things were acknowledged, and then it would just refine the methodology and we'd get better results in all these studies, but it just doesn't happen. Well, I, I think the other thing about these parapsychologists is that they're kind of forced to to make these experiments as rigorous as possible because of the nature of, of what they're studying. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if they're not thinking through all the types of questions that, uh, that materialist scientists would be, um, would be asking to poke holes through, you know, the experiment and uh, poo poo it, you know, they, they would, they would feel like they're not really doing the, the good job that, that they know they have to do to gain any kind of credibility in the field. And it's very interesting that you bring up Rupert Sheldrake for one, because the man just gets attacked left and right. Sometimes literally. Yeah. There was a a guy tried to stab him several years ago. Is that right? Yeah. Well, what that, I don't know. That poses an interesting question for me anyway. And and that is, uh, you know, you don't really see uh, the vehemence of um, of the other side. Uh, in other words, you don't really get the kind of fervor or anti-biological uh, materialism from the folks who were like Sheldrake or the material. You know, the the people who uh, learn about um, about psi powers as you do from the other side. It's kind of like a psychological fascism. I mean, it, you know, this other world can't exist uh, alongside of uh, material laws and, and science. Um, it just can't. It can't be allowed to. Therefore, it doesn't. Therefore, it doesn't, because we say so. Uh, you know, what is that? Is it pathology? Is it... Um, it would seem that there's a pretty strong degree of uh, pathology or, you know, authoritarianism. Like, you know, it's just like... What we say is is uh, is God, you know. We're we're the gods of of um, science, and you know, accept our our rule. I think it might also come back to the lack of psychological depth that I was talking about. Um, you know, maybe not in all cases. It's hard to make a generality, but I think that maybe in general, you know, people who lack a certain amount of psychological depth. Um, <coughs> can't see these kind of things and I'd include probably you know psychopaths among those is that it takes a certain amount of like first of all open-mindedness to to see past the the official dogma from the scientific pre- priestly class and but that open-mindedness goes to a whole you know whole range of other things including you know the ability or the, you know, just being a spiritual person, understanding what spirituality is, because a lot of people, for a lot of people, spirituality is just the, you know, just the social experience of going to church and having a, you know, a bunch of people to talk to and a, and a, a pastor to just tell them that they, that they go to hell if they don't do certain things. This is very external, 
um, just set of rules that doesn't really have any uh, any effect or any kind of inner uh, motivation or inner awareness or self-awareness. It's just this external law that you've got to follow. And so I think it may be that a lot of the resistance comes from the fact that a lot of these scientists and a lot of the people in positions of power just don't have the psychological depth to see either the possibility of these things or maybe they do see the possibility of these things and they actively, you know, deny them for ulterior motives. So I guess that kind of brings up the question for me too. Like, you know, is there some relationship between psychological depth and a psi phenomenon? Have you, have you come across Uh, anything like that, Harrison? That's interesting. I don't know, but, uh, one of one is one interesting little statistic. There was a a study done on it was a hypnosis study. Try uh, the purpose of the study was to see if if hypnotic if you could have a hypnotic effect on someone's talents or abilities. So they took like a hundred people um, with various abilities. Like I think primary well primarily they were artistic abilities, so music or drawing or sculpture or things like that. And so they divided the group up. First of all, found that 50, I think about around 50% of them maybe uh, couldn't be hypnotized at all or very well. And then like 25% mildly or, you know, mildly to medium hypnotic ability. And then the, the other 25% were very hypnotizable. And they found that the the ones given suggestion, the, they were basically told to play as if they were, uh, you know, a professional or someone at the top of their class. And the highly hypnotizable um, individuals who were given the suggestion actually improved in their ability, in their ability to play their instruments. And some of them retained these, this higher level of playing after the, after the study. But the ones who weren't hypnotizable had no, uh, there was no effect. They didn't get any better. And so one of the control studies was just to, to not hypnotize a person and just tell them to play as if they were, you know, a world-class musician and they didn't have any, um, any effect either. So the question there that, uh, that happened to me, that, that came to me is, well, is there any, you know, is there a connection between, so what, what is this ability to be hypnotized? Is it a good or a bad thing? And for those that, that weren't hypnotizable, because I, I think you, we can, I think most people would agree that it's uh, probably a good thing not to be hypnotizable because you're less suggestible. You're more able to, to, to make your own decisions and to, to, you know, not be under the control of someone else. And most people would agree that's a good thing. So I'm, it just made me wonder where the, all these dividing lines are. Maybe they're tapping into something, mm-hmm. uh, those who are easily uh, yeah. hypnotized. Maybe, you know, they have an easier time, you know, tapping into like, this, you know, some group uh, yeah. type uh, energy. Yeah. yeah, and then those that, that's not necessarily to say anything bad about those who weren't able to increase their skill because yeah. of hypnotizability. It may just be that those that those individuals, they just, they have to work for it and they may even get greater results as a, as a result of their own, um, you know, putting their own will into it and, and maybe coming, maybe, um, what's, how to put it, maybe, you know, coming to a, a, a space in the future, um, you know, a, a state of mind in the future where they then 
are able to to access more of that creativity, but as a result of their own will and not, uh, you know, the hypnotist. Yeah, there might be more of an element of, you know, something of their own involved. Uh, so, you know, it does require that, that more work. Yeah, I don't know, but it's interesting. Well, maybe, you know, uh, the ability to be hypnotized is just like raw intelligence or any type of intelligence, you know, uh, it can be influenced in, in one way or another. You know, if, um, if, uh, a politician had, had grown up thinking and, and, uh, you know, meditating on, uh, and concentrating on, on ideals and using models of other politicians who really tried to make change, uh, and had mentors who were, uh, savvy and, and, and well-intended, uh, they might become a, they might, you know, realize some kind of potential. And by the same token, uh, you know, a person who's got all these, um, you know, evil values instilled in them, but with, with a similar amount of raw intelligence or computing power or cognitive power can, can be directed in a different, <clears throat> different direction and, uh, and use those same latent abilities, but, uh, serving, you know, forces of uh, entropy and selfishness. So, interesting questions. I just think that hypnotic boils are an interesting thing. Just, I mean, that the whole mind, so-called mind-body connection. The the idea that you could post that you could hypnotically induce a person to develop, you know, a burn mark on their skin. I mean, where's the heat? How does skin boil without a match pressed up against it? Uh, I mean, yeah, with all these things, yeah. it's like the human brain, you know, must have some, you know, pretty amazing capacities uh, for for everybody, you know, that, yeah. that we just, you know, are completely uh, disconnected from. But instead, we're focusing on, you know, evil Russia and yeah. ISIS and coming up with new new and improved drugs and ways of killing people and and fear and propaganda. And it kind of makes you wonder, you know, is, are all those things, you know, a replacement for, um, you know, that, that dissociation, you know, cause there's a, that element of dissociation with uh, hypnosis and, you know, it can be used for, um, creative purposes mm-hmm. or, you know, it can be used just like as a, a, a distraction and to, to keep people kind of in their own, in their own world, in their own bubble. Um, and when, you know, when you inject the population with fear, you know, they just kind of like move uh, inward. Yeah. And, you know, this reminds me of the men who stare at goats. I mean, you know, the, the military would is, is interested in, in these types of phenomena if only to know how better to weaponize it. Uh, there isn't, um, I don't think, uh, a kind of natural curiosity about it um, that would uh, seek to, you know, learn it just for knowledge's sake. It, it becomes this, um, uh, this, this thing, this new bullet, this new uh, armament, this new... Uh, weapon against communists or, or what have you. Yeah, it's funny, you know, what what are those experiments used for and might there be more, you know, uh, normal applications that, you know, that they've used 
you know, these, these uh, paranormal insights for. You know. Well, if we weren't on the cusp of a, a, a whole uh, number of, uh, you know, paradigm shifting uh, events on the, on the planet, I would say, in, you know, if all things staying kind of where they were or, or not getting so terrible, uh, in 40 years, it would be, you know, you'd buy your, uh, your sci ring at Walmart and, and you'd, and you'd be, you know, taking classes in, um, you know, in, in levitation to impress your girlfriend. That's some Jedi classes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think that might just about wrap it up for today. Unless we have any final, any final words. Just an observation. We went from Jen Psaki to uh, Psy Science, and uh, it's kind of kind of an interesting development there. A little surprising, but you never know what will be said on the truth perspective. Yeah, Psy isn't Psaki. <laughs> now Just I can, now I can go to a restaurant and order a Psaki without people looking at me funny. Oh, but you know what? There is something we forgot. Shane, I, interrupt, I interrupted you earlier in the show. For, for to take a call, but you were talking about Saturday Night Live. Uh, yeah, we, so yeah, we were talking about just the uh, overt propaganda uh, directed towards Russia, and yeah, it's in the news, but it's also kind of been in our uh, entertainment. And um, recently saw a Saturday Night Live skit where, you know, it was just pretty outrageous um, where, you know, they were depicting... Uh, uh, you know, what, what Russia was like. And, you know, it was just such a backwards and, you know, even obscene uh, depiction of, uh, you know, what Russia today is like when, you know, it, it was kind of looking or, you know, imagining what, or taking, you know, taking notes from what Russia what might've been like, you know, decades and decades ago, maybe after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Um, so, yeah, I got just a little clip from uh, Saturday Night Live. Like all the Russians, colon, I have been planning my funeral since I was a little girl. <laughs> As I am buried, I will have them play the most popular funeral song in Russia. <clears throat> At last! Oh, yeah. Come on, Russia cannot be that awful. Oh, yeah? You know, District 12 in Hunger Games mm -hmm. is based on richest neighborhood in my village. <laughs> in Russia, do you know what Fifty Shades of Grey is about? Oh. My teeth. <laughs> Even Ebola would not come to Russia. It almost came, and then it was like, not too easy. I mean, you listen to that, and, you know, there's not even... Uh, you, don't, you don't get any sense of, of humor from that. You know, no. It's just... Just bad, and yet people laugh. Well, that's what I wonder too. You know, was that really the audience laughing, or was that just like canned? Yeah, or it was know. people really laughing in their canned way. Yeah, could have been a yeah, more mechanical. Yeah, there there was a comedian in the 1980s, um, a Russian comedian named Yakov Smirnov, who uh, was pretty popular for a while. And, uh, you know, his big shtick was, you know, he was playing up the persona of, of someone who came from Russia uh, to the U.S. and was impressed with everything. And so to everything that he saw, he would say, what a country, you know, I have this and I have that. Um, but he never, uh, he never disparaged Russia in any way 
to my memory anyway. Uh, it was all just about affirming those things that he felt were opportunities um, in the 80s when he came here or the 70s. Uh, and that's the only uh, analog to this bit um, that I can think of. Well, even during the Cold War, you know, at the height of it, um, you know, I've heard in different comment, commentators uh, talk about this issue and, you know, how uh, the just the spitefulness uh, and the you know, derogatory depictions of, of Russia that's going on now that we see now. Like even then, like, you know, with uh, Reagan and stuff, you know, these types of things weren't, weren't so... Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't that it wasn't as bad yeah as it I mean, is today i mean this 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 uh sorry life scale is just like uh, everything that's awful like come mm. on it's banal yeah well i think we'll wrap it up there and to take us out today on this show we've got a special a special song from the rollins band that i hope you'll all like and i think it'll just sum up the, how would you sum it up, Elon? Uh, the mindset uh, of uh, of psychopaths, um, of course, uh, as artistically interpreted by uh, by Rollins Band. All right. So with that, we will see everyone next week. Thank you, and tune in tomorrow and Monday for the other shows on. SOT Radio Network. So yeah, everyone take care. Yeah, take care guys. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. So you think you're gonna live your life alone in darkness and seclusion. Yeah, I know. You've been out there and tried to mix with the animals, and it just left you full of humiliated confusion. But the feeling of loneliness never leaves you. It haunts you everywhere you go. And then you meet me. And your whole world changes. Because everything I say is everything you've ever wanted to hear. So you drop your defenses. And you drop all your fears. And you're so busy feeling good. That you never question why things are going so well. You want to know why? Cause I'm a liar Yeah, I'm a liar I'll tear your mind out I'll burn your soul I'll turn you into me I'll turn you into me Cause I'm Standing eyes And I'll tell you things that you already know So you can say I really identify with you So much I'll come to you like an affliction But I'll leave you like an addiction You'll never forget me you want to know why? Cause I'm a liar. Yeah, I'm a liar.
Tell a 